Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Marco. What do you do when the Bible doesn't seem personal and you just can't hear the voice of God? Join us on When the Bible Wasn't There as we discover just how much God loves you and the lengths he'll go to win your heart. The one thing that really stood out to me and I heard it recently was the Bible always says, and God was with David and God was with David and God was with David. Yeah. Well, why can the Bible say this? It's because David was always with God. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. If you want to him to dwell in your presence, you have to dwell in his. Exactly. And this, and this was something that Saul had proved time and time again, that he didn't want God with him. Mm-hmm. And now David asked the question that people who are being persecuted ask. That he goes to Jonathan in this moment and he says, I'm going to quote it straight from the text here. He says, what have I done? What is my iniquity? And where is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Like, what have I done, Jonathan, to offend your father? If I've done something, tell me. Like, where is the cause for this action? So now Jonathan goes to his father and they're having a feast. And he, and he says, David has earnestly asked, sincerely asked, that I be able to go to Bethlehem. Well, you know, we're going to offer a sacrifice together, me and my brother, David. Please let me go. If I have found favor in your sight, let me go. And the fact that he's asking his father this shows that he still has respect for Saul. Even though by all standards and everything else, Saul is acting crazy. Jonathan still shows him the respect and reverence that not only a father deserves, but a king deserves. Yeah. The next question that, uh, that Jonathan asks Saul, I think is quite iconic. Because one of the things that Jonathan cannot understand is why does he need to die? And he asked that after Saul points out, look, you're choosing him at your own expense. Yeah. If this kid lives, you're never going to be king. Jonathan's like, all right. He's like, all right. So what? So again, like he's like, so, so what has he done to deserve to die? Because what you're saying is not enough to condemn him to death. Yeah. And I think the question that Jonathan has is the same question that David asks Jonathan. Mm -hmm. What have I done? And you know, this question of what have I done resonates throughout every Christian experience when they're persecuted. Yeah. What have I done? When there's struggles, when there's hardship, you always ask, what have I done? Yeah. Even Job says, what have I done to deserve what's happening to me? Yeah. Yeah. And Job, that's exactly what he says. But then what God goes on to answer Job, this is the answer that answers David's question. Mm. Is the answer that answers our question when we're going through trials and we ask God, why am I suffering? I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. The question is, were you there when I formed the earth? Do you know the... The end the bigger, from the beginning. Do you know the end from the beginning? Do you know the bigger picture? Yeah. Do you actually know what's at stake? And I think a lot of the time we suffer because other people aren't making the choice for Christ. Mm-hmm. Like if Saul would just choose God, there would be no issue with him and David. And so 
when Saul hears Jonathan defending David so boldly, so openly, now he grabs a spear to throw at his own son, to end his own son's life. And the text tells us that at this point, Jonathan's like, all right, I get it. He really wants David dead. There's no changing his mind. And whoever stands in his way, even if it's his son, he'll kill him. And it shows the lack of logic that sin imposes onto the brain. How irrational sin makes us. Because he's worried about Jonathan not being able to be king. And yet he's willing to kill him. <laughs> he's willing to kill him. Yeah. And this isn't the first time he's been willing to kill Jonathan. Yeah. Remember, Jonathan breaks the oath without ever hearing about the oath. And he's ready to kill Jonathan. So sin twists the mind to get rid of any reason, any logic, because all logic, all reason comes from God. When you're so motivated by self, by anger, by hate, you'll do things that you couldn't even imagine yourself doing. And this is why God asked Cain the question, why are you so angry? Why? And we see what this anger leads Cain to do to kill his own brother who only wanted his best interest, only wanted to help him. And here's Jonathan pleading for reason from his father, for his father to understand how illogical he's being. And Saul acts out in anger. Yeah. One of the, when also one of the tactics that we can, that we can glean out from this story is that whenever we're possessed, and I know this is a strong word. Mm. Whenever we're possessed by Satan, because I believe at this point, Saul was possessed by Satan. Yeah. I mean, he was illogical, irrational. Whenever we're possessed by this spirit, as Saul often was possessed, you know, when he would lose it. It is when we begin to try and manipulate the circumstances. Saul was doing that all along. When... David comes and asks for his daughter's hand. Saul was already thinking on how he could get back to David. Seeing how he can get him down. Mm -hmm. And that's what he does when he goes running to Samuel. He rushes to Samuel to tell him everything that has been happening in the palace. Surprised. Asking the same question. I don't know what I did. But this is what happened with that. This is what's happening back home because now the palace, the palace was, home. was his home. He's part of the family. Mm -hmm. He's married to his daughter. And he's lost it. And even I can imagine Samuel thinking this is exactly what God told Saul. This is exactly what God told Saul would happen. Not only is now Saul losing his grip on the kingdom, but it seems like Saul is losing his grip on his family. On his family. And even more than that, on reality. He sees David as a villain, as someone who's out to steal everything that he has built. And yet he has saved the kingdom. Multiple times. Yeah. But now David does something a little bit out of character. We read that he runs to that he runs to the tabernacle and he tells the priest there, I've been sent by the king and I need to eat. I'm, I'm so hungry. And the only thing there for him to eat is the showbread, which 
he's not supposed to eat. Yeah. That's, that's for the priests. That's only for them. But here he takes this holy consecrated bread. Not only does he lie about where he's coming from, who sent him, but he breaks the symbolism of something that's meant to show us Christ. To think that this is a man that God says is after his own heart. This is a man who writes these beautiful poems of forgiveness and redemption and the love that God has for him. But in this moment, he finds it necessary to lie. One lesson that we can learn from this is that the bread was always a symbolism of God's word. Mm -hmm. It was a symbolism of his sacrifice as well. If it would have been the ark, we know what happened when somebody touched it. They die. They died immediately. But here we can see the mercy of God. That David is lying outright. But he's looking for the bread of life. And God does not reject him. Yeah. He could have snapped. He could have killed David right there and then. But one of the biggest promises that we have is that God will never reject you as long as you don't reject him. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting here too is that there's a story that you know, you might have heard. And there's this man and he's smuggling Bibles. So he buys a car in Yugoslavia and he's he's filling it up with Bibles. And he eventually this car and eventually this car breaks down, but he's already purchased the Bibles that he's gonna smuggle into another country. And this is during communism. Like if you get caught with Bibles, that's it. That's it. So he has about a hundred Bibles and he decides to put them in a big suitcase and he gets on the train. He's like, I'm determined to deliver these Bibles. And two officers come up to him and they say, they say to him, what do you have in that bag? What do you have in that bag? Now, this is the point where he could lie. He could say, oh, just my clothes. Um, I'm going to lie for God. I'm going to lie for God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just my clothes, just some different things. But no, he decides he's going to tell the truth. So he says, oh, I have about 100 Bibles in there. And the two guys laugh like, this guy is crazy. And (laughs) do you hear what he said? He's crazy. 100 Bibles. Ha ha. They just walk away. And the man gets to his destination. He's able to get these Bibles into the hands they need to be in. But if he would have lied, and this story could have had a different outcome. And so I... and. As we see here, David's lie brings disaster to the priests. Saul's men come and when they hear what's happened, they think the priests are lying to them and they kill all of them. So one sin. One sin. This is when when many times we forget that sin has real consequences. Mm -hmm. Many times we think, well, sin is... God tell well God decided that this is a sin. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's just enforcing the rules. But we forget that sin is real, has real results, real consequences. And when God tells us don't do this, he's actually trying to spare our mm-hmm. lives. And I wonder what would have happened, and we don't know. But what would have happened if David had gone to the priest and said, I am running for my life. I need help. I need help. I don't know where to go. I'm lost. I'm confused. 
and I need help. What would that have looked like? What, what would, would the disaster have still come to the priest's doorstep in the same manner that it did? No. I think the outcome would have been completely different. But I think that honesty is something that... It's a characteristic that it's in Revelation when we talk about God's people. That there was no guile yeah. found in their, in their mouth. And at this point, we see that David lies. You know, he, he slips, he falls, he lies. And there's a real consequence. But how many times do we fall in the same, in the same mistake? Mm-hmm. I heard of this one. Uh, I, I heard about this one family coming from a different country. I won't mention the country. And um, and it, it, it was a couple. Again, I'm not judging, right? But it's just something for us to think about, you know. And the, the guy was saying, you know, I prayed to God and I said, look, if, if God allows my wife to get the visa to travel to the U.S., I will take it as a sign that God wants me to go and live to the U.S. Once we get to the U.S., we'll overstay our visa and we'll stay there. Right? And when we go to the interview, we'll just say that we're going for tourism. But I prayed to God and I said, if you allow my wife to get a visa, I will go to the U.S. and I'll take it as a sign. And I know that's borderline, okay? I know that (laughs) I'm probably pushing it out there. But let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. I know we're all humans. Yeah. I might make the same mistake. I'm not saying that, you know, I would be better than, you know, than people that do this. But at the same time, it goes to show us that as human beings, me, me as a person, I can convince myself that I can ask God for permission to break one of his commandments and forget that there's real consequences to my actions. And this is one thing that David forgets. And I think another really good example of that, and this is one we're hearing a lot and, you know, disclaimer, if you don't want to get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. If you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. But if you don't want to get vaccinated, don't lie about being vaccinated. Yes. Yes. Like this is, this is one of the things, right? Like I don't want to damage my body and violate the temple of God, Mm -hmm. but I'm okay taking one of the 10 commandments and breaking it to keep this other thing. Yeah. Like this just doesn't, that's not how God works. I think in the, I think in the case of David, it all goes back to wanting acceptance, wanting approval of others. Will the priest help me if he knows I'm a fugitive from the kingdom? This shows you, this shows us that David is just as human, human as all. In the moment of desperation, of weakness, of, of loss and confusion, he decides that the approval of others, the acceptance of others, is more important than his reliance on God. Yeah. And you know, we, many times we focus a lot on Saul. Like, Saul, how could you do this? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have done what David did. But we forget that David did what Saul does. Exactly what Saul does. Look, Saul had ulterior motives when he went ahead and said, hey, go ahead and get the foreskins of the Philistines and I will leave my daughter, knowing very well that he could get killed. Mm-hmm. 
later on, as we will see in, in future episodes, we'll find out that David does the very same thing to Bathsheba's husband, and he's successful, and he dies. Yeah. David does the very same things that Saul does. But there's a big difference. David knows that he's not rejected by God. He comes back. Mm -hmm. If only Saul would have come back. Yeah. If only he would have come back. So whenever you feel that you've gone too far and that you've probably made the same mistakes as Saul and that Satan will go ahead and tell you, you know, you've gone too far. Just remember that you can come back. And the promise is that you will never be rejected. So as David is in this dry, desolate place, wandering through the wastelands, he writes Psalms 42. And maybe you don't know it off the psalm number, mm -hmm. but you'll definitely know these words. As the deer pants after the water, so my soul pants after you, O God. Yeah, whenever I, I read this uh, this verse, I remember that when we were when I was a kid, my dad and I decided to do this kind of experiment, and we decided to walk three hours in the desert. It was the Mojave Desert. I mean, if you've been to the Mojave Desert, that thing is dry. Mm -hmm. Not too far away from the Mojave Desert, you have Death Valley in California, and uh, it was a summer. I mean, it usually gets 120 degrees, 125 on a really hot day. We decided to go ahead and, you know, make this three-hour hike. We took water and everything. But, I mean, with those temperatures, the water gets hot. Yeah. Really hot. And we're walking and walking. And I remember that toward the end, you could you can, you can could see the little waves of the heat coming up, um, you know, in the ground. And if, when you put your hands on the sand, man, that thing was hot. And uh, toward the end, even though we drank water... It was simply too dry that whenever you swallowed, that your throat almost got stuck and it became a little difficult to breathe. And I remember finally, when we got to our destination, there was water there. And man, that was the sweetest water I have ever tasted. And when I say sweets, that's an understatement. You know, I had a similar experience when I was in seventh grade. We went on a 10-hour hike in the Grand Canyon. Wow. No, sorry. We went on a 10-mile hike in the Grand Canyon. And we had to carry everything on our back. You know, a tent, uh, the gear for the whole week. So not only are we hiking, but we have all this weight on us. This real burden. Yeah. Kind of like the burden that David has on his heart right now. But yeah. <laughs> literal on our backs. And, yeah. and, oh boy, halfway there, people wanted to give up. <laughs> halfway there, people wanted to turn around. And it gets to the point where we're dying. Like you said, you could see the heat coming up off the ground. Out, yeah. And as we turn the corner to our campsite is we see this huge flowing stream of the, some of the clearest water we've ever seen. <laughs> and everyone, everyone just wants to jump right in. And you could see the joy on people's faces when they found it. And David continues in this psalm and he says, My soul thirsts for God. Or the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Yeah. You know, this is where we see the biggest difference between David and Samuel. I mean, David and Saul. 
In Saul's case, his thirst, his hunger was not for righteousness, was not for Christ, but it was for the likes, the reactions, for the approbation, for the mm -hmm. approval, for the feedback of the people. But in David's case, his thirst is not the people. And the it continues, it says, my and it continues, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me for i have gone with the multitude i went with them to the house of god and the voice of joy and praise with the multitude of them that kept thy holy day why art thou cast down O my soul why art thou despondent in me hope thou in god this is the contrast that question why are you angry why are you disappointed why are you hurt open God. He says, Oh, my soul. Oh, oh my God. My soul is. Oh, oh no, I'm going to go there. Uh, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and the and from the Hebermites from the hill of Mezer, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water sprouts all thy waves and thy pillows are gone over me yet the lord will command his loving kindness hope thou in god for i shall yet praise him in the help of his countenance and then he says something amazing he says yet the lord will command his loving kindness in verse 8 in the daytime and in the night his sh his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I murmur, Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. Will they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou despondent within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. You know, David really understood what it was, what it meant to be led by God. I know he forgot a few times. But when, when David wrote Psalm 23, as someone, like you read, as someone that was looking for water on a hot summer day, on a hot desert summer day, David was always reminded that yes, he was going to be the, the pastor for Israel. But before he could be the pastor, he needed to be pastored. And that, yeah. is, that is why he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. That's why he writes, he leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves today, you and me, the people listening to this, what are we thirsting after? And are we going to let the living water into our life? Are we going to understand that I can still rejoice in God, that he is my health and the joy of my countenance, and that when I drink from his waters, I'll never thirst again?